You are listening to 91.9 WDRT Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. Hello, everybody. My name is William Kyle Glenn. I'm coming to you uh, from Wilmington, North Carolina, at a business conference. I'm with my friend Joseph Eklund. Howdy. And uh, we today wanted to get into libertarianism. Mm. Is that how you want to call it? Like, so. I'd almost uh, say uh, libertarian activism or the libertarian party. Yeah. And um, how it relates to libertarianism, as you might say that, you know, democracy versus the Democrats might be, you know, do does one serve the other? Well, you know, sometimes or sometimes not. We're doing our best to uh, make sure that the Libertarian Party does serve libertarianism. Uh, so, but we'll get into that. Yeah, and I guess you could say that I feel politically marooned right now. Like, I, I don't really have a political party, or at least I didn't. And, I, you know, coming on the eve of the or before the or after the Trump presidency and now the Biden presidency, I feel a lot of people are very extremely dissatisfied with just the the two party paradigm. Well, yeah. I certainly hope so. That, it seems like that's the case, right? And a lot of people that I at least associate with are kind of like, what do I do? Like, I'm no longer <laughs> I'm no longer a Democrat or I'm no longer a Republican. I don't really know what to do. And so I'm really good friends with Joseph. We work on a lot of different projects together. And he's really been kind of slowly but surely pointing me in the direction of the Libertarian Party. And I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing right now. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff they're doing. So I wanted to bring him on and, and really focus on wh- what they're up to over there and the new leadership that they have at the Libertarian Party. And just, you know, how about you go and fill us in? What's going on with the Libertarian Party? Well, well I wanted to first start by talking about what you said about the dissatisfaction with the Democrats and the Republicans. I mean, you know, growing up, I was a, you know, in high school, I was really interested in like Dennis Kucinich. So this like, you know, healthcare for all, very, very libertarian, like civil libertarian, but left wing socialist type. Um, and of course, he had no chance of actually uh, getting major uh, status within the Democratic Party, um, as it seems that within, especially the Democrats and the Republicans, any really great uh, honorable person doesn't really have much chance of getting really great status, and that's probably an element of power politics. Um, in, in my, I, I felt that same dissatisfaction and and disillusionment, um, a long time ago, you know, just even being a young adult and part of my evolution was hearing Ron Paul take to the Republican stage because I was, you know, like I said, I was a Dennis Kucinich Democrat and hearing Ron Paul come in and tell a bunch of Republican, you know, conservative or, or even uh, warmongering types that we 
need to listen to our enemies. We need to understand that the CIA is causing blowback and that uh, heroin should be legal. <laughs> a Republican is saying this. I was like, okay, there's something about the two-party system that this sort of message of freedom and consequences and uh, just sort of the organic processing of the natural human life that can happen in freedom was not allowed to happen in our current political order. Ron Paul just disrupted my whole understanding of the two-party system. And so that was a real kicker. And that really led me down to the libertarian movement and the libertarian philosophy. Well, and, and, just to, and then later on, to the party. Just to qualify Joseph a little bit, I, I just want to say that Joseph is on the board of the National Libertarian Party. Yeah. Of like 10 different states, or what is it? Yeah, so I at, was elected at the last convention... Uh, as the representative of Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, and South Carolina. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically there was a bunch of uh, orphan states I, I adopted. But yeah, I, I managed to or wrangle those... Uh, together and you actually came oh, to the there. national convention with me. He wrangled me there as well. I was happily, happily, happy, happy participant. Um, yes, so I, I'm actually on the board of the national party, and uh, we've been doing our best to bring the Libertarian Party to its philosophical roots, and not and, and to take it away from sort of. Uh, party politics, uh, middle-of-the-road, corporate, um, almost uh, political socialites that, that want to uh, get cozy up to Washington, D.C. think tanks and political power brokers in order to uh, gain power. We don't see that that is actually a viable me uh, way to free humanity. Uh, we see the pe those of us in in my crowd, namely the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party, we took over the Libertarian Party with help of many people, a thousand people, including you, Kyle, and more around the the country, took over the third largest party of the United States in order to take it away from uh, corporatist uh, apologists and really give it the libertarian principled stance that it should have as a third party, especially in this current world where uh, given a more independent media landscape with the internet, podcasting, all these sorts of things, that a third party or, or even just outside the power brokers, we can have real voices of speaking truth to power have real, uh, real uh, traction and real platforms to grow from that aren't owned by uh, corporate overlords that want to prevent real change. Yeah, and so you brought up the Mises Caucus, and my understanding of the Mises Caucus is 
if you just want to put it in a nutshell, it's like kind of like Ron Paul libertarians. Yes, right? yes. And and I well, I just want to say this too because I got I became a big Ron Paul fan too around. Um, I think it was kind of around like the Occupy Wall Street era, kind of like around then. Yeah, when he ran, I think that was when Obama. Twenty twelve was it? Twenty twelve? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that's when I became a big fan. And the thing that caught me the most about him, which was like, oh, was he was the only person talking about the Federal Reserve. That might have been two thousand eight, actually. Was it? I, I, I can't because that was the early Tea Party and Occupy Wall Street. At the same time. Oh, 2008, yeah, because that was Occupy Wall Street, You're right? So, so Occupy Wall Street was the left wing, because this was about 2008, the TARP bailouts, the, the bailouts of all these banks that were um, over-leveraging to, to fund uh, mortgages that they, that they couldn't, and in fact were kind of predatory, though that was all instrumented by... Um, by political shenanigans, basically the government forcing banks or, or colluding with banks to be predatory towards uh, people who couldn't afford those mortgages. And uh, then the government said essentially, oh, don't worry, we'll bail you out when these people default. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big moral hazard. So Occupy Wall Street was saying, hey... The banks are are predatory. They're in collusion with the government. We are the ninety nine percent. We're being screwed over by these the owners of hedge funds. You know, like this is, and it's really not the ninety nine percent. It's the ninety nine point nine nine percent of people versus the people who own banks. And it was like it was Ron Paul. I think Bernie Sanders was aligned with Ron Paul to audit the Fed. Yeah, right? man. Dennis Kucinich. Well, Dennis were, Kucinich and Ron Paul were the were the real but leaders. But Bernie was on board too. I'm pretty sure. sure. I I would bet he he was definitely there, especially in those days. Um and and on the right side, you had the Tea Party, and the Tea Party was actually started as a Ron Paul fundraiser, and was eventually like Glenn Beck and and uh, some of these uh, more conventional Republicans. Uh, took the lead on it, and they were all about opposing the TARP bailouts of the banks. And so it was the left and the right all opposed to corporatist uh, government uh, banking system collusion at the expense of regular people. And if you follow that, if you follow that rabbit hole down, if you follow those banking tentacles, it leads you to the Federal Reserve. Oh, yeah. And so I started, at that time, started going down these rabbit holes, and essentially what I learned was that the, the Federal Reserve was actually a private bank. Like it wasn't a federal institution. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the saying is the Federal Reserve, uh, it's as federal as Federal Express and yeah. it doesn't have any reserves. <laughs> yeah, and um, essentially, you know, it's complex, but how it goes, how I learned was that they, they create money out of nothing, lend it to the American government at an interest rate. And then, um, and then the American, the, uh, the government then has to pay back the interest on the money yeah. that's created out of nothing. I you mean, want to explain that a little bit? So, um, so essentially the, the Federal Reserve loans out money to the, the banking cartels. So the national banks, um, that essentially own it, they are the ones who 
choose the the governorship of the Federal Reserve, and then um, I think the the president might put the very head of it, but it's basically this collusion between the owners of the major banks and the federal government. And it is private in some sense, but it's really a public-private partnership, mm -hmm. the basically fascist, corporatist uh, thing. And what it basically is, it was started by, you know, J.P. Morgan, uh, Warburg was the representative yeah, of, it was the, like of a, the European bankers, the Ro Rockefellers, all these Jekyll things. Island. In, went to Jekyll Island and started this all under pseudonyms. It was a secret thing. They've admitted it and put it in their autobiographies. This mm -hmm. has all come out. And it was passed in 1913 in the progressive era with Wilson, who ruined everything. So, yeah, thanks progressive era Wilson <laughs> and, and starting... Uh, you know, ruining everything. The IRS came. The like, IRS, right the Federal that. Reserve, and the U.S. intervening and basically uh, making World War One uh, when everyone was at fault, making Germany the scapegoat for the whole World War and giving uh, essentially the incentives all in favor for the Nazis to rise to power. Wilson was basically Satan incarnate, in my opinion. Anyway, and they found out like in. You know, I, I learned a little bit more that, like, in the Reagan era, they, they looked into it a little bit more, and they found out that the majority of the money collected by the IRS from from the taxpayers was going to pay the interest on the loan. Oh, like, when the, yeah. I, when the Federal Reserve loans the money to the U.S. government, they have to pay back that interest, and they were collecting from the taxpayers in their in their income tax to pay back that loan that's all it was yeah if you, there's there's a great documentary from like 2010 or some or 2011 called iousa it's iousa mm -hmm. and it was all about the complete unsustainable nature of our debt system including the unfunded liabilities of social security medicare medicaid the uh, U.S. you know, the military-industrial complex, all these elements of the U.S. government are completely unsustainable, and tack on top of that, that all of this money is lended to the U.S. government at interest yeah. by the Federal Reserve, and that interest, a good portion of our taxes, are just paying for the interest. Ron Paul actually introduced a bill into the government, into the Congress, to just cancel the interest. And it didn't pass. Yeah. It's like we could have canceled out that interest. But, of course, that's not a long-term solution. The real long-term solution is auditing and ending the yeah, Federal and, Reserve and System. Still, and correct me if I'm wrong, we still have not audited them either, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they... Yeah, they, they, it's a completely secretive organization. But no government can can overrule what they do. Nobody can audit them. They're they're not subject to audits. Yeah, yeah, it is not a governmental institution. It is a corporate institution that the government grants license, and which is pretty usual. the The whole thing is that that the government is, and the corporations use each other to evade accountability. The corporations are accountable to people because if people cannot, or if people choose not to pay corporations, not to buy their stuff, the corporation ceases to get money and goes out of business. Mm -hmm. Government has accountability to the people through, you know, things like transparency, voting. There, we have a number of social institutions around the government that 
I mean, they are flawed. You know, political games aren't very effective, but, you know, say the First Amendment, we're saying this is social media, the First Amendment protects political speech when you're dealing with governmental institutions. So what do we do as a governmental institution? Well, just fund and engineer social media companies, which are private institutions, to do censorship and social engineering and all these sorts of things that we as the government would like to do, but we have social agreements and contracts and, and, and rights that say that we're not supposed to, and so we'll use the private institution in order to get around that First Amendment and say, okay, well, the private actors, like, you know, if the, there's this really legitimate principle, the First Amendment should protect, everyone should have the right to speak their mind, but it doesn't give you the right to speak your mind in my bedroom in the middle of the night. That's my area. That's my property. Your right to free speech does not actually your right to free speech. It's your right to use your body in your space. It's not your right to use your body in my space. Right on. And so they're using this idea of the protected right. They're using the invalidation of that on private hands to get around it because they're wanting to collude between the government and the corporations. And that's, well, once again, this is all coming back to why libertarians want to reduce the power yeah, of well, the state me, in order to reduce the power of the corporations. Right on. We're going to get to that, but I just want to come to full circle because we're all talking about Ron Paul and the Fed because, you know, essentially just to like, to, to cap it off, we could just have the U.S. Treasury print money at no interest. That that could be an option, but instead we're that, having that has its own problems. But yeah, but I'm just trying to say that instead we're having a private institution printed at interest, and it's been now proven that yeah, a big, it's worse. <laughs> a big portion of all the tax money that you guys pay, you listeners pay, is going towards paying that interest um, on the money that's printed that doesn't even have to exist. That's just coming out of nothing. So. Ron Paul around this time was like, well, one, audit the Fed, Ron Paul, Dennis Kucinich, Bernie Sanders, and two, in the Fed. That was a huge yeah, thing. Yeah. In I mean, the Federal Reserve. And he and nobody else was talking about that. And even still to this day, nobody talks about ending the Fed. Only libertarians were like the only ones bringing up this issue of this like monster, this elephant in the room, this Federal Reserve. Well, this, you, I have to correct you because you, you did just bring Ron Paul. Oh yeah, Dennis Bernie. Kucinich, sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. and and Bernie Sanders. So Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul were probably the most they they voted with each other more often mm -hmm. than than many of their you know Dennis Kucinich with the Democrats and Ron Paul with the Republicans because they were friends and they were both civil libertarians. But Ron Paul is like a legit libertarian. He ran for president as a Libertarian Party member. He he is an, a devout libertarian. Dennis Kucinich. Like he's a an honorary member of the Ron Paul Institute even today, and but he has disagreements about economic policy. And Bernie Sanders is a democratic socialist. He has certain things that that the libertarians would ally with the democratic socialists on. Um, but definitely, when you're using democratic socialism or or 
more totalitarian socialism to use the government to enforce certain social, cultural, and economic ethoses on the majority of the people or on people. Um, the the libertarians would disagree with that. So so when you're talking about only the libertarians are talking about ending the Fed, that's not necessarily true. I just think that the libertarians have the most coherent reasons to end the Fed. You know, they want to they want people to be free. They want uh, money to make sense, and they don't want a well, well. Actually, I would say the the socialists have a decent reason. So so say Bernie Sanders doesn't want elite, quote, capitalist banking aristocracies to have control over the foundational measure of value in our society and be able to steal it. Right. Like, um, that's reasonable. That's what we all agree on. We don't want these rulers, these criminals to steal everyone's value, which is what's happening through the Federal Reserve. And so it's not just the libertarians, but, you know, I, I'm a libertarian, so, but I wanted to make sure to give Bernie and the socialists their due. Okay, cool, cool. Um, thanks for doing that. You're listening to 91.9 WDRT Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. I'm talking with Joseph Eklund. We're laying out um the we're talking about the libertarian party and we're kind of talking about the federal reserve and stuff but i wanted to say though when people you would know more than me so we're, we're gonna trust what you have to say but i swear when i was when people were like all these presidential candidates through the past i don't know if i've ever heard anybody say literally in the fed <laughs> other than a libertarian candidate. I'm pretty sure, like, Bernie might have been talking about, like, auditing the Fed, but did Bernie really say in the Fed? I, I don't know. I, I mean... I, I, I swear it was only libertarian <laughs> candidates talking about actually, like, abolishing it. Yeah, I mean, Ron Paul definitely would have said that, or at least, yeah, he said audit, then, and the Fed. Yeah. Um, and probably a good portion, if not most, libertarians uh, would just say just, there's no legitimate reason to have a governmental institution that tells people what money they can use in the first place and if even if there was a reason for a governmental institution to tell people what money they could use that that institution could then dilute the value of that money by printing by essentially counterfeiting that money and lending it out to their friends and and political uh, friends and and corporate business partners that's that's just that's just unfair and that's just wrong um so and the libertarians generally are very uh adamant about this issue that, that that's it's actually and and the reason is is because it's through this counterfeit money that they create out of nothing and steal all this material value from our society that they can do all sorts of grand projects that the government loves to do. Mm -hmm. And these grand projects fall on all sides of the political perspective. So on one that many of our listeners might feel vehemently against might be military expansionism, enforcing our values through military conquest and 
making bombs and and blowing up innocent brown people across the world like this um there's that but there's also other things that if they couldn't just print the money that maybe the taxpayers would not uh allow the politicians to do things like inflation well well inflation is part of this but yeah. what about a lot of the social programs a lot of the uh you know even you know another one that that you know left wingers or, or a lot of people might say the drug war you know there's a lot of money spent on on that um that maybe we wouldn't tolerate but there's a lot of money that's spent on all sorts of programs uh regulating industries a lot regulating uh how people choose to you know do things on their property all sorts of busybody things that cost a lot of money to actually uh you know overregulate people it would be so much more costly and we would actually have to raise taxes every year on people and people would see that taxes raised in in order to get those programs done we'd be much more cautious about what different programs that the government actually implements we'd be much more judicious about oh do i actually want to control my fellow citizens do i actually want the police to go regulate people or create a new department or regulate schools in this way or regulate you know all these different programs that those all cost money that usually the government just prints into existence and if they didn't just print it into existence uh -huh. they would have to raise taxes on people in order to do and most people if you like if they actually really have to pay out of pocket every year and that goes up every time they say yes to one of these programs a lot of those programs just wouldn't happen so it's actually an anti-democratic thing where it's like it's not a real democracy so to speak it's not a real representative government if when you say yes to a program you don't also say yes to the spending and the extraction of your wealth out of it so it it creates this this corruption of our even our decision making power. Well, and then if you fast forward, we we're talking about Ron Paul earlier in two thousand eight. If you fast forward now to the present present time, who else is talking about the Federal Reserve like is ending it other than the Libertarians? Yeah, man. You hear Dave Smith on the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> yeah. So now, so this is I guess pillar one is just the when you talk about the Federal Reserve. I think you're really starting to get into like the deep, like the roots of the problem, like yeah. like the deep issues of the problem. And from my, from what I can see, libertarians are the only ones talking about it. So that's like the big, like number one, when I think of libertarian, I'm like, they're actually talking about things that could have lasting results yeah. um, in our financial system. Cause it's, this is what's lurking behind so many other issues. And, and, and one of the things about the libertarians is you know, we think about the Libertarians like the Libertarian Party. And, like, I'm on the board of the National Libertarian Party. I'm fully invested in it as a, as a social institution trying to affect party politics. And yet, I recognize that some of the most profound Libertarian projects are not in the political world. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. 
uh, is one of the big ones. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency are ways to get out of the Federal Reserve System and end the government rulership over money and and therefore return it into this, you know, pseudo gold standard, you know, something that's that can't just be inflated at the whims of a banking cartel. Mm. Um, other projects, you know, one of our local ones, Farm Match, is an attempt to get the decision-making power between people and their food, you know, returned to their sovereignty and not regulated through the, the system. Uh, other libertarian projects, there's so many of them that that are operating outside of the political process because a lot of these a lot of these libertarians like you were disillusioned with party politics now we're at this stance differently than in the past with Ron Paul Ron Paul ran as a republican remember yeah he was a weird republican who said we should legalize heroin <laughs> <laughs> And we, that we should listen to Osama bin Laden, uh, and, and, and that, you know, what, not that we should listen to him, that he was morally okay or anything, but just like, why did he do this? It wasn't because he thought that, oh, it's bad that, that Americans are free. It's like, oh, we've been bombing Iraq for 10 years and we, uh, you know, are, have bases in their holy land and, oh, you know, we might take some people off. Well, it's no wonder that uh, some people who are desperate and radical and uh, unbalanced might use their, you know, totally, like, murderous, evil mentality and do something when driven to desperate, meat, de desperate ends. Like, that's... And so it's not that the United States is at fault, but that this is a reasonably predictable consequence. So, the libertarian movement has been largely outside of politics, but right now, there's this real movement to do a real strategic influence on party politics, along with Bitcoin, along with all these other projects, that the that the libertarians really dominate and that movement is to we the the ron paul movement took over the national libertarian party and are now poised to have principled candidates um that are much more you, you might say radical but it's more like more bold in speaking truth to power um some of the different uh, libertarian affiliates, especially state affiliates, especially in New Hampshire, um, are like to take some influence from the the kind of caustic political atmosphere we live in, like influence like Trump, Trump, and and even some of the the radical left. Uh, these radical right and radical left get very. Uh, bombastic and and kind of caustic and nasty and stuff like that. And there's some some of that in the Libertarian Party world too. But the party itself has largely been taken over by people who are trying to speak truth to power and prioritize ending the worst things that the U.S. government does. Things like wars of genocide. Things like uh, putting people in prison 
for decades for nonviolent drug offenses. You know, there are so many things like where Julian it, Assange, Julian Assange, and and pardoning Snowden. Right. You know, Julian Assange right now is is in such dire straits and essentially being held in solitary confinement most of the time. And he's not in the U.S.'s hands, but it's basically under threat of that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, one yeah. thing that I, um, I guess, like number two, because I'm just talking about what I really like about it. So I, number one, I was talking about you know the Federal Reserve and that that pillar, but number two is the anti-war stance. Yeah, such a consistent anti-war stance, like no matter what. And Dave Smith often talks about Yemen. The war, the conflict in Yemen, which is something that I feel like most people don't even know exists. Yeah, well, it's it, it's kind of depressing when you look at all the different uh, tragic things that that are happening, and in this case, our our government, you know, Obama started assisting the Saudi Arabian government in creating a war of genocide in Yemen. And it was to placate the Saudis. And this was because, and it's a little complicated, but it, I could simplify it if I remember it properly. Okay. <laughs> when George Bush, George W. Bush, invaded Iraq... And took out Saddam Hussein. He took out the government that um, that was resisting the empowerment of Iran. Then, when Obama took power, they wanted to shift the Muslim dominance. I'm I forget. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not the super foreign policy expert. So it's the Shiites and the Sunni is uh, Muslims. And I forget which one's which, you know. But there's a conflict between the Shiites and the Sunnis. And the Iranian dominant ones were... Uh, Saudi Arabia didn't like. Um, and so Obama decided to switch sides. And then instead of fighting... The, the faction of Saddam, he started fighting on the side of Al-Qaeda, who killed, who blew up the Twin Towers. So Obama started fighting, or started sending in reinforcements to help Al-Qaeda in Iraq, which is just like... Like they did in Syria, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is essentially treason. Yeah. But, you know... George W. Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden are all war criminals, you know, so it's like, okay. Um, and so, part of this is the Saudi Arabians were really offend, were really miffed that uh, George W. Bush did what he did. And, and Obama was trying to ease tensions with the Saudis, and so in order to, and this is a quote that's used pretty regularly, in order to placate the Saudis, they decided to 
largely fund, refuel, and, and, and provide services for the Saudis as the Saudis destroyed water, sewage, supply lines, civilian resources of Yemen to the point where it's basically a mass genocide where babies are and and people are dying of cholera and like how many do you know how many deaths is it like what's it's the, hundreds hundreds of thousands jeez yeah yeah there's it's and it's a literal war of genocide um and we're funding it yeah and now we are i think there was well there was a ceasefire but it, that has ended. I don't think that fighting has resumed. Um, but Biden is continuing to support it. Now, Biden has said that he might, that he doesn't like it. But, you know, presidents say all the time. But the whole point is that, you know, here, Dave Smith, probably likely presidential, future presidential candidate. Will speak out against it. And, and particularly the Libertarian Party... Um, led by Scott Horton, who I guess he's not technically in, uh, an official in the Libertarian Party. He's the editorial director of Antiwar.com and the uh, director of the Libertarian Institute, which are both, I think, 501c3 nonprofits. Uh, he has largely led the media campaign on the, um, the effort... And which everyone should call in one eight three three stop war, and that is a campaign. It'll basically if you go to one eight three three stopwar.com, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, you it will connect you to your congressmen and senators, and you can let them know that you support uh, the. House and Senate resolutions to uh, enforce the War Powers Act, which basically makes it illegal for Biden to continue to support the genocide in Yemen. We all can do this right now. Wow. And the Libertarian Party is leading this effort um, as in alliance with the best of the anti-war left and right. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You are listening to 91.9 WDRT Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. I'm talking with Joseph Eklund. We were talking about the Libertarian Party and how they have a, a anti-war stance and some other stuff too. But uh, I wanted to talk about, I think one reason why people have an issue voting libertarian is because they feel like it's gonna it's gonna get the other side elected or something right mm. like it's gonna if you vote libertarian like you're gonna that's gonna make gonna get a democrat in office or that's gonna get a republican office i wanted it because i heard dave smith talking the other day like i wanted to get into some of the strategy because he was kind of saying that like if there was a a Republican that was like standing for libertarian values, they wouldn't even run a libertarian against him. They would just kind of like support him or something, right? And so, so this, this, you know, when you're same with Democrat too. Yeah, yeah. They're they're when you're managing a party, 
which is a, a bunch of people that are allied together around a common philosophy. It, there's a little bit of herding cats reality. But I agree with Dave in that if you say have someone like Thomas Massey or Rand Paul who is opposing uh, the enforcement of the invasion of bodily autonomy when it comes to medical decisions, when it, uh, when it comes to uh, wanting to support the Defend the Guard Act, where uh, we say that the National Guard uh, cannot be deployed to war outside of the U.S., unless Congress declares a war officially, which they haven't done since World War II. So there, there's a number of things like where you might judge, like this person is a libertarian in principle, but they're not a libertarian in party. Or even they're way better. If you have, what was it, Dave Smith said, what if Tulsi Gabbard, who like on many economic issues, I disagree with her, and she might even have more issues about like trying to control people's ownership of guns and things like that, which I don't see as legitimate. But if she was running against someone like Lindsey Graham, who is a warmonger, control freak, conventional Republican, maybe if the Libertarian Party runs anyone, they do everything they can to attack Lindsey Graham and leave Tulsi Gabbard alone. Or they just stay out of it. You know, like, I see that as just pragmatic. It's like, because the whole idea of the Libertarian Party is to be the party of principle. There are Libertarian principles which are about not hurting people, not taking their stuff, letting them live their lives as they see fit with mutual tolerance, with as long as they don't hurt anyone else or damage their life, damage their property. Is that the core definition of a libertarian, would you say? Yeah, that is the idea of libertarianism, that we all are sovereign, divine beings of moral agency, and that no one is of a higher class of rights. So there is no such thing as a higher, like a king or a politician that has more rights. Even a, a police officer doesn't have more rights. We all have the same number of rights. And those rights are our right to govern our own bodies, our legitimately acquired property, and to, and to exchange and work with each other in peace and tolerance. And any time that we steal from one another or hurt one another, that that is a crime. And it doesn't matter if anyone voted on it. It doesn't matter if uh, they're bigger and stronger. It doesn't matter if they're the leader of a cult. It doesn't matter. They're the same human beings with the same rights. Yeah, so that that's, that's really the core of libertarianism. So... When, when we're looking at uh, the government, it, it often comes this place where we get confused and we're like, we assume that the government has rights that no one gave it. 
or or that the government has rights when I didn't accept, I didn't give those rights to the government. So one common objection I hear about the libertarians, and it's actually something that I often think about and wonder what you would have to say about this, is um, what about all the companies that are um, like abusing the environment or putting toxic chemicals in the water, polluting the air, polluting the land? Like, if, if libertarian's all about freedom, does that mean that these, these companies then, like, because you usually have to use, I think people would naturally think that you'd have to use the government to kind of regulate these companies in some way. How do you stop that? How do you protect the environment without uh, a government um, so, institution? So when we talk about the government, it, it's important to consider what that even means. So the government, the, the real idea here with the environment is that people are being damaged, people are being harmed, the land is being harmed. But what, is the, what does that even mean? It's like if, if this was out in space and somebody was wandering off and, and, and poisoning a meteorite in the middle of space... It might not be that big of a deal, but it's because we're poisoning land that other people are going to be around, and the animals that people are going to interact with are going to be around. It's actually about the harm, and it's about people. So, the government, when people relate to this, they, they say, this shouldn't happen. Therefore, Someone should do something about it. Therefore, government. Unfortunately, government, all that it is, is an, a corporation that gets to use violence to force people to be members of its organization. That's the fundamental of government. Now, we all are forced by threat of violence to be part of this organization and to pay membership dues and to participate. And depending on the government you're part of, participate more or less. Um, that government can do things about the environment, can protect things. But is it the best? Is it even that good? Because usually, when you're talking about very powerful people in, say, corporations, or people who are very uh, driven with their goals and greed and that sort of thing, they are much more dedicated to influencing members of the government than the rest of the people. And there's something that's called uh, uh, regulatory capture that has been defined and studied very well by the public choice theorists that uh, that have shown or basically studied the the incentive structures of the government and basically a major corporation can pay lobbyists full-time high salaries to get the government to do what they want 
And they have huge financial gain, very concentrated, at stake, that shows that they should do that. That's their moral, that's their incentive economically, and, and that's their value. The, so mass, the masses of the people might pay a penny a day or a penny a year in, or, or just like have a little bit more sickness in their breath. And, and they won't even notice. The vast majority of people, the, dis, the costs associated with the problem are so dispersed that the gover that the government won't have a signal to prevent it but they'll get a really strong signal from the corruption of business or 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 criminality to support uh, a a a a essentially licensing of of uh, pollution or something whereas there were Instances like say say during the railroads, which is classic, you know, the, the is way back at the early industrial revolution when things were just starting to even this wasn't even an idea, uh, environmental pollution. Like what's that? It's like you know we're people were so th this wasn't an idea that really had taken hold uh, that we could, but the railroads were essentially pouring coal dust on orchards and laundries and stuff, and courts put injunctions against the railroads, which were then, those days, billionaires, and told them they couldn't run anymore until they solved it. And it was sort of at a standstill. But it was the federal government that said in the name of national progress, those courts, we're just going to get rid of their injunctions and we're going to say there's a law that you can't stop the national progress of the railroads, you know, and, and of course the federal government was also funding the railroads at that time, except for the empire builder. Um, and, you know, there's, just, there's all sorts of bad incentives that really, if you want to get down to like, we want to have progress and we want to have accountability and we want both of those. And in order to do that, you have to allow people to not fund things if they're corrupt and you have to allow people to pursue things if they don't harm people. So it seems clear to what you're saying that government's not the answer to this, but like how, how would like if we elected a libertarian into office, how would that help like situations involving the environment. Well, I would say, you know, you have to be pragmatic about these things. You're not just going to uh, abolish the government in a day and yeah. have an anarchy utopia as much as some of us might like that. Mm. Um, but you can end the worst things. You can say, okay, we're not going to intervene in military affairs abroad. We're going to uh, bring that money home and manage our own th affairs. We can release all nonviolent drug offenders. Um, you know, maybe we want to review and make sure that they weren't, like, you know, beating or yeah, killing yeah. people or whatever, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Um, but in general, it's like, focus on, is there an actual victim of a crime involved here? 
if there is, even then, if the victim is like the land. Well, or, so or so land. that's or, difficult because when you're talking about rights, rights have to do with moral agency. The right is is rights are about a human's ownership of their body, of their life, of of their freedom. And 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 maybe there are conscious beings, maybe some animals that approach that. Mm-hmm. And that that's very like you know, that's PhD level, you that's know, social Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when it comes to the land, one of the problems with it is when you're negotiating rights, who speaks for the land? Because the land doesn't tell you. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be somebody who speaks for the land. So somebody is going to own the land and speak for it. It's a person. It's just another human being. And we're brought back to humans and, and who owns what. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's always about humans who owns what. And does somebody have the right to violently impose on another human and their stuff? Cool. Using violence. And the libertarian answer is... If they're initiating violence, they're wrong. All right, that makes it real simple then. Okay, we don't have too much time left, but I wonder if you could just quickly go through like kind of main planks of the Libertarian Party now. I know they're they're wanting to end the FBI, right? <laughs> CIA. What? Like, tell me what like the whole thing. Uh, like. End alphabet agencies. Okay, <laughs> I would say that uh, probably the majority of the executive agencies so uh you know they they, as far as irs um the fbi the cia the nsa the you know all all foreign wars um well yeah yeah well they would have a strict wars of aggression and intervention are off limits we would only go to war when uh, our people and our territories are invaded so that's very clear. Okay. It's like if they're coming over to the US, we'll go to we'll go to the war to to sustain our territory and to protect our citizenship. Sure. Mm. When it comes to those other countries, it's like people expect the United States military to protect everyone, but they expect that they also won't just be the bully and policemen and tell everyone what to do. Sorry. It's one or the other. And, and really it's like, are we going to have like different people allowed to be different or do we have, are we going to have a one world order owned by the United States? So that and libertarian is, and libertarians just kind of want everybody to kind of like, be allowed to live the way they want to live. Basically. The libertarian philosophy is the philosophy of peace and toleration. I want the Amish and polygamous uh, non-binary uh, cyborgs to live in peace. It's like, we can all live in peace. And, and we can the be way that different. We live as long as we're not harming it. Right. And... It's, in fact, only through peace 
And mutual tolerance is we actually find out what's good for humans. Because what we do when we use violence in order to force social, like, cultural values, you know, this is why the, the cultural conservatives being in charge of the government or the, the, the liberal Democrats being in charge of the government, they're both actually getting in the way of us understanding what it's, what's good for humanity. Because if people are free, then they'll choose. And usually, the moderate, movable middle of reasonable people are going to choose something in the middle. And they're going to choose... And, and, and we have to allow them... And we, and we get the real radicals on both sides... They get to be free to be the way, their own way too. So, um, I, I want to just plug a couple things at the. So you helped me get the national uh, party staged, and we're gonna do some really great stuff. Especially, the, you know, that as far as local politics with national, the only there's only one candidate on the Wisconsin uh, ballot. That's you know, Neil Harmon, he's Secretary of State. That, that just keeps on us on the ballot. Um, and and he won't win, but, you know, it'll be good. If he did win, that would probably be awesome. Um, and then there's a local group, the Libertarians of Southwest Wisconsin, that I'm the chair of, and we're really getting started. We're going to start doing some educational events that I'd love for people to come by, ask questions. Um, there's the Libertarian Q&A, where I will give a presentation on the libertarian the the philosophy behind America's largest third third largest uh, political party, and that will be at the Commons in Viroqua at one p.m. on Saturday, uh, October twenty second. And uh, actually, the a month later on November nineteenth, we'll have something for the Anthroposophists or by the Anthroposophists or in collaboration with the Anthroposophists about the threefold social order and how. Uh, actually, the separation of politics and culture and the separation of politics and economics uh, is the libertarian political philosophy. It's the threefold social order is the separation of politics from culture, separation of politics from economy. It's actually the show I just had last month. When and where is that? Uh, that will be, uh, let's see, I'm... I, You'll probably want to check. We have a Facebook page, uh, Libertarians of Southwest it's Wisconsin. It's November. It's about a But month it's after. November 19th. And uh, I'm not sure where it will be. It might be at the turning place. Okay, cool. Anyway, like, do you have any contact information you want to leave if someone wants to ask any questions? Yeah, you can go to... Uh, it, you can send an email to libertariansofswwi at gmail.com. Um... And that'll get to me. And yeah, come to one of our public events, uh, hang out and ask some questions if you are a libertarian leaning person. And even if you're not like all in, but you see a lot of alliance in, in the values of letting people live their lives, of getting out of the worst things that the government does. You know, even if, even if you want the government to do some things, but the libertarians aren't really focused on getting rid of those. If you're interested, just come on by and Just listen. come on by. Check it Let, out. I think that we can really work together and do something really amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joseph, for coming on. It's really um, interesting. It, it was just a lovely time. Cool. Well, uh, you are listening to 91.9 WDRT.
Radio Free Space Viroqua, and this is the Conscious Bro Show. This is Conscious Bro out.